Good morning, Westridge. I just can't put you down. If you're new to Westridge, um, you may not know that I'm a pretty big deal. So let's start there. I'm really not, but you are. This church is a pretty big deal. And I was thinking this week, why is it that this is my favorite place ever to teach on Sunday morning? And I thought this. This is one of the few places where I can be transparent and authentic without fear of retribution. At least about 75% of the time I can be transparent. Most churches can't take 25% transparency and authenticity. Besides, where else could I speak on Sunday morning with orange pants on? There's a very, very small niche of churches. And by authentic and transparent, I mean... um, I try to bring my life experience into the room, not in a narcissistic, pseudo-psychotherapeutic way, but, but with the belief that the human condition is common enough that if I'm going through this and I'm feeling this, and we can filter it through the lens of a biblical worldview, then maybe it could be helpful to you as well. So here's 75% authenticity, transparency of what I'm going through now, hopefully with the biblical worldview lens. Things are changing. Lots of change for us. We sold our beloved West Loop condo last November, where we'd lived for 12 and a half years. Most of those years, I drove out here to Westridge to teach on Sunday mornings, every time change Sunday, holiday weekend, and snowstorm. I don't know how I got the best slots to teach, but I did. And it was great. And so we moved to St. Louis. Uh, I don't know... If any of you are from St. Louis or know people in St. Louis, okay, don't take it personal, okay? But I study demographics, and the city of St. Louis is either the number one most dangerous city in America or number two behind Detroit, depending upon the year and what you're measuring. That's the city of St. Louis, not the county, not the suburb, city of St. Louis, most dangerous on almost every list. I read one list where St. Louis was one of four U.S. cities on the 50 most dangerous cities to live in in the world. I told you, don't take it personal. I'm just, I'm just giving you the stats here. So, um, moved to St. Louis, started to work for a large faith-based nonprofit senior health care ministry. We run retirement communities. 13 communities in four states, 2,000 residents. Just don't call it a nursing home, okay? We don't call it nursing homes anymore. We, we, are, we are all politically correct on that. Some of you may have gone through that process of retirement homes, nursing homes. If you haven't, chances are some of you will with your parents. It's a tough, it's a tough ministry to be in. So, you may be wondering to yourself right now, how's it going, Gordon, with all those changes? Thank you. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm gone for like eight months and you just totally lose interest in me. That's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Well, (laughs) so I live in the most dangerous city in America, and I work for an organization you don't want to talk about, think about, and pray every night you won't end up in. Did you see the news article uh, a few months ago where, where the older lady 
shot her son just for having a conversation about moving her into assisted living. It's a true story. Killed him. So it's, it's fun and games every day for me. But wait, there's more. Uh, I bought a new car for the first time in 12 years. Who knew cars had changed so much in 12 years? I was bragging to a friend. I said, you know, even the outside side mirrors, they defrost. There's, you know, he goes, yeah, we've had that for a long time. <laughs> this thing even reads my texts to me. I didn't even know that technology existed in the world. We bought a new TV for the first time in a decade. I don't know when in the evolutionary process of humankind TVs became smart, but this one did, it has, I have it. Our kids were aghast that we didn't have Netflix. And I said, I got tired of mailing the DVDs back and forth. (laughs) I was reminded of this velocity of change when our 13-year-old granddaughter, who desperately wants her first phone, uh, and her mother, who is resolute against her getting her first phone just yet, until she's maybe 21, uh, asked Risa... Grandma, uh, when did you get your first phone? And you know what she was trying to do, make the case to mom. Well, mom, yeah, grandma got her first phone. When did you get your first phone, grandma? Risa said, I was 45. (laughs) Just destroyed her life right there, just destroyed it. Any of you going through changes? Changes, learn to fly without wings? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, and I've got one philosopher's quote on this to start out with. Uh, He says, time may change me, but I can't trace time. Now, I have no idea what that means, but somehow I got changes in my brain this week working on this message, and I just thought I'd inflict it upon you as well. Another philosopher says, life belongs to the living, and he who lives must be prepared for changes. And here's another one, one of my favorites, what an artist has to say. I have to change to stay the same. Turns out, one of the major themes in the Bible is change. And the God who never changes requires from us constant change. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow promises me that I don't have to be the same tomorrow as I was yesterday or I am today. And Christians of all people should be the ones who embrace change, who lean into change, but too frequently the American church has been the number one organization resistant to change. I I don't want to get off on a rant here, unless you ask me to. I was reading an article in Crane's magazine, reputable magazine, Crane's Chicago Business, um, where robber barons like Pastor Darren are frequently quoted. And uh, the, the headline said, uh, Millennials flocking to non-traditional churches. And I thought, oh great, I'm always interested in new things. I'm wondering what's going on today. So I went to the article, I read it. It said, uh, they're having church in theaters. Ah! <laughs> they, they have coffee at their church services. Oh no! I, I'm, I mean, I almost wrote the Cranes article and said, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but in 1993 we started a church in the Park West Theater and Chicago's Lincoln Park neighborhood in a nightclub with a smoke machine, and we started out the service with David Bowie's Space Oddity. 
And this guy thought this was news. Hadn't changed much. Well, what I want to do today is suggest three game-changing attitudes about changing your life. Game-changing attitude number one is that life is a faith adventure. This may be an unlikely passage to transition to, but let me see if I can make the case for it. The Bible says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Now, Peterson substitutes the word reverent and sensitive for fear and trembling. I think that's a better translation. Working out your salvation assumes that there's a process of change going on inside of you. And that you should have some self-awareness of this process of change that's going on inside of you. Fear and trembling doesn't mean we walk around quaking in our boots. On the faith adventure, rather, there are risks. And therefore, I do well not to have an arrogant attitude. I do better to have a reverent and sensitive attitude about the changes in my life. Risks are hard for those of us who think too much. And yet, the really important decisions, we don't want want to think about this, but the really important decisions have to be made without much certainty. Without much certainty. Choosing a career, changing a career, choosing a spouse, choosing a church home. When to buy, when to sell, what to leave in, what to leave out. When to move to the most dangerous city in America and work for a retirement community. Not much certainty there. Only after decisions are made do we have any sense as to whether we have chosen as we should. And even then, things can change in a moment. In a moment. Maybe that's why the Bible talks so much about faith. Without faith, it says, it's impossible to please God. And so this morning, what I want to tell you is it's not too late to change your attitude. A reverent and sensitive attitude keeps me from ever assuming that I've arrived and I have no more to learn and no one else to learn from. It keeps me from assuming that I've made it on my own and I no longer need God's grace in my life. One author defines faith as the decision to keep your eyes open. Open to the possibility of growth and change. And the next gift that God wants to give me. I wonder how many exciting opportunities that we missed because we walked through life with our eyes closed. I don't ever presume at any time, that I'm in complete control. Because things can change in a moment. Jesus even told a parable about a presumptuous businessman. He'd had a good year. Profits were up, costs were down. He had the world by the tail. The only problem this man had was how to find enough time to spend all his money. And he said to himself, well, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. So this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, 
you've plenty of good things stored up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Game-changing attitude number two. Failures aren't fatal. Rather than a failure-proof career path handed down to us from God... He walks alongside of us, and He dialogues with us. And at different points in the journey, we're directed to let old plans go and embrace new challenges. This one's really tough. Because when you're at that inflection point, that means more often than not, you're going to have to say no to good things. Like moving to another town. Like leaving church home that you really love. But you have to do that because here's what else is true about change. The time to change is before you have to change. The good news is, even if I do end up making some stupid mistakes, and I do, I know it's not the end of the world because I live by grace. The Bible doesn't portray God walking alongside us like a leering boss who's only interested in more productivity. Our God is a God of new beginnings. And He never leaves me with the sense that it's too late to try something new. If you look at the Bible and the characters that it describes, from Abraham to Peter, who acted boldly, frequently made mistakes. I was just... I was just running through a list in my mind this week. We tend to look at Bible characters with halos over their head. You know, like the, the Russian Orthodox paintings that have a gold halo over their head. And that's what we think they are. And we can't relate to them because we know when we look in the mirror, we ain't got no halo over our head. Just ask your spouse. They'll tell you. But there, there's Moses, the great lawgiver. Stands astride history. Oh, yeah, he got mad and murdered a guy. There's David, a man after God's own heart. Commits adultery, then kills her husband. There's the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament. He was killing Christians before he became a Christian. See a theme here? What they had in common is that when they did fail... They never gave up on the fact that God didn't give up on them. And there have been times in my life where I felt like giving up. And the only thing that allowed me to hold on by a thread was my faith that God will never give up on me. And I have to hold on just a little longer because of that. Game-changing attitude number three. There'll be a time when you run out of change. I wish I could tell you every change in your life is going to be better than the last one. I wish I could say that to you, but that's not the gospel. Here's what the Bible promises about change. Let me tell you something wonderful. 
a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I read that first sentence this week, and it just it hit me. You know, I wish in my ministry, my 20 years of ministry, that I'd said to people in church more often, I just don't understand. Instead of trying to be the Bible answer man, have the answer to everything all the time, just say, I, I, I don't get that part. I just don't get it. Don't understand it. So here's what he's telling us. He says, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. Whenever I do that, you say change, okay? Okay. I just, I just do one word, and I know some of you struggle with that one word to remember it till the end of the message. You hear a blast, end all blast from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet, from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. And at the same moment, in the same way, will be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable, taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable, this mortal replaced by the immortal. I'm looking forward to that change. And because of that change, I can have hope in the midst of an onslaught of changes I'd rather not go through in this life. And so my challenge is to move through the changes between now and then with just a little grace. Just a little grace. In the stressed and strained dog-eat-dog world of accelerated change and unforgiving competition, where social and economic and political institutions are being shuffled and rearranged. Have you noticed that? It's a genuine shock to the system. And why are we surprised that one of the world's most successful movies is about the world's most famous shipwreck? The metaphor of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic was in circulation long before the movie. Who among us, at times, is not shaken? Because of my faith in the final change, I can move through the roller coaster changes in my life, and I can know this. Things are going to change until they aren't. Thomas Dorsey was a gospel songwriter. He happened to be singing in St. Louis when it was much safer to live there. And he was singing at a service in St. Louis when he learned this lesson. Things can change in a moment. This young married music pastor of the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood was handed a telegram in the midst of a service that he was leading. It said simply this, your wife is dead. Well, you can imagine the shock that he went through in his system um, because the place was packed, people were singing, they were dancing, they were wanting more, and he'd been handed the shock of his life. He had left her in her final month of pregnancy, and the last look on her face was a peaceful look of sound sleep. All seemed well, but now everything was coming apart and quickly and without advance notice. 
Hastily, Thomas clambered back to Chicago, entered her room, and found her. She had given birth to a son, but within a day, he died too. Both were buried in the same casket. Tommy fell apart in his soul. Where's God? Too much pain. And yet, the following Saturday, he meandered close to a piano. He sat down and he started to fiddle with the keys. It was nothing that he had gone over before, but the words seemed to be fresh, the melody simply appearing and then flowing from a burdened, questing heart in search of Jesus He wrote these words, Precious Lord. Take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. Because I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm weak. And I'm worn. Through the storm and through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. And I would add, to the time when there will be no more change. He told a friend afterwards, and so I go on living for God willingly and joyfully until that day when He will take my hand and gently lead me home. Don't miss out on the gifts. God wants to give you because you had your eyes closed on your faith journey. When you encounter failure, tell yourself, my God is a God of new beginnings. And when the velocity of change and types of change seem to swirl around you like white water, remember that there's a day coming when you'll run out of change. That is the essence of the gospel. And so like Thomas Dorsey, we can, we can sing a simple prayer. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. It's not a prayer of resignation. It's an attitude of reverence and sensitivity. It's an expression of an eyes-open faith journey. Two things. Two things I know about our future. Things are going to change. And the last change, that's the best change. And I'll pray this prayer. Dear Lord, help us to move through the changes in this life with just a little grace until we reach the time when we run out of change.